Welcome to episode 11 of the Echo Ever Proudly podcast. I'm Brian Egan for the class of 86. Couple of thank yous to start. First off, thanks to all of you who donated to the Dominic Petty Scholarship Fund. Here's a message from Dom's parents. Hi everyone, Pat and Magda Petty here. We just can't tell you how grateful we are that the hockey team kicks off its season with the Dominic Petty Purple and White Memorial game. We received a record amount of donations and we're so grateful for your continued support. God bless you and all Gonzaga families. May he keep us always safe, always holy, and always his. Go, Go Eagles. Eagles! In that 111-hour push, over $72,000 was raised from over 350 individuals, just like some of you. So thank you. Thank you, number two, is to you for your time. We know you're busy, and the Echo Ever Proudly numbers keep growing. So thanks for giving these stories about Gonzaga, your time and attention. In fact, we want to be able to thank you personally. I'll tell you how at the end of today's episode. But first, time to jump in and talk about the wild ride to the 1959 City Championship game in football. Let's welcome from the class of 1960, John Morris, Daryl Hill, Charlie Shields, Henry Partridge, and Brendan O'Neill. Hey, Charlie. How are we doing, guys? Somebody just joined us. Uh, yeah, this is John Morris. Partridge is around, right? Can you hear me? We're all a bunch of old-timers don't know how to do this stuff. <laughs> You're doing fine, John. I want to begin by helping today's Gonzaga student what it was like in the late 1950s, because you didn't have a field. You always had to ride a bus to go to practice. Daryl, where were some of the places you guys would try to get work done? Yeah, and we took it for granted not having a practice field, you know? Remember the market field where we had a practice? It was we fun watching the Gallaudet players. Yeah, I remember we scrimmaged them one time and they beat us up. There was a lot of broken glass there. And Pete Lorario told us that we'd keep us sharp. <laughs> <laughs> and just to clarify, for the 1959 football season, Pete Lorario, a former St. John's assistant, was head football coach. Gonzaga's athletic director, Joe Kozik, still had an important role. He drove the team bus. Darrell was a motivator on the bus. He, I don't know, but I've been told Gonzaga High School, mighty old. He had a million of them. <laughs> we used to practice also on the ellipse right in the shadow of the white house the president yeah. be sitting out having a cup of coffee on the balcony watching us practice saw nikita khrushchev driving by for a meeting i guess with eisenhower maybe yeah he came in on the helicopter and one of them did and after practice getting home wasn't as easy as just jumping on the metro no daryl <laughs> we used to hitchhike uh, to and from gonzaga at least in our earlier years henry drove Jimmy Holland and myself down to Gonzaga in our later years, but we'd hitchhike after practice in the dark. Every uh, day. Yeah. I, I never I rode the bus. I hitchhiked home every day after practice. You used to go right down to North Capitol and H, stand on the corner. Yeah, there you go. And, and get a ride. And, you know, I you know, never had a problem. The 1959 Gonzaga football season had an incredible ending. But he got off to an interesting start. A tie to powerhouse Episcopal was followed by five victories in a row. And then during a miserable rainstorm, a 14-0 loss at Carroll. The next game against DeMatha was the key to salvaging the season. And it didn't look good at the end of the first half. Gonzaga was down 12-0. It was a disaster in the first half. And during his halftime speech, Coach Lorario put the challenge out to his football team. He basically said, as I recall, that I'm going to give you seniors another series of downs here in the second half, 
And if we don't do something, I'm going to bench all the seniors and, and we'll work on next year's team. So I heard him. So he handed the ball off to me first series of downs and bam, we scored. So we were back in the game. My recollection of that first drive, we came out all motivated and everybody was holding their blocks. And Daryl started around right end and reversed and went around left end and ended up scoring a touchdown. We had such a motivational coach, Pete Lorario. We didn't want to disappoint him. But yeah, thanks to Daryl, who scored all of the points in the second half, we prevailed. And just to clarify for you listening right now, when Brendan O'Neill says Daryl Hill scored all the points, he's, he means the extra point too. Daryl, it's unusual that the star back is also the place kicker. I got to know, were you drop kicking it? Was someone holding it? What was your style? Were you were you toe on? Were, you weren't soccer style back in the late 50s, were you? No, it was, it was toe on. I think Brendan used to hold the kicks, as I recall. I don't, I don't think Hank did it. I think it was you, Brendan, as a matter of I fact. Think, I think so. I couldn't kick worth a dish. <laughs> I could make extra points. Anything further than the 20 was a problem. <laughs> don't feel bad, Daryl. Hey, Daryl, don't worry about not being able to kick worth it. You ran pretty damn well. That's all I care about. I know. <laughs> you beat DeMatha 13-12. to 12, And this is against Morgan Wooten, who's so famous for being the basketball coach at the time. He was coaching football and basketball for DeMatha, which is pretty wild. Morgan was the head coach. He was a history teacher at DeMatha. And they just kind of stuck him in there. He did better at basketball than he did at football. But anyway. Morgan uh, taught or coached at St. John's at one point, didn't he? Your memories of Morgan Wooten's coaching timeline are correct, guys. He actually attended Gonzaga, ended up graduating from Montgomery Blair High School, then enrolled at Montgomery College, where he began in 1951 coaching baseball, football, and basketball at St. Joseph's Home and School for Boys, an orphanage in D.C. Now, as he transferred to the University of Maryland in 1953, that's when he became the JV basketball and football coach at St. John's. And then once he graduated from the University of Maryland in 56 with degrees in phys ed and history, then he was hired to begin that Hall of Fame career at DeMatha. So you guys end up beating DeMatha, and that sets the stage for the big rivalry game at Griffith Stadium against St. John's. We played in Griffith Stadium three times that season. We played St. John's there. That we played the playoffs there, that we played the city championship there. Yeah, within yeah, six days. Right. In grade school, they always had the Catholic League playoffs uh, right before the Gonzaga St. John's game, as they did our senior year. Right, Brendan, you remember that? In our eighth grade, we played St. Jerome's for the CYO championship in eighth grade before the St. John's Gonzaga game. Right. Our teammate, Myron Lloyd, played for St. Jerome's. Well, I played for Our Lady of Lords, and we should have won that thing. <laughs> <laughs> should have is the operative verb. Sunday, November 22nd, 1959. If St. John's wins, they win the Catholic League. If Gonzaga wins, it results in a three-way tie between Carroll, St. John's, and Gonzaga. All would finish with two and one league records. Now, that traditional Gonzaga St. John's pregame activities included a lot of pageantry, the regimented marching on the field by the cadet student body and drill team. And Charlie, you ended up in the Naval Academy. So this kind of had an Army-Navy kind of feel to it. And there was a lot of respect between the teams. As I recollect, Gonzaga showed a lot of respect. You know, we'd call them the Johnny Mops and all that. 
one-on-one ragging him. But we showed respect for him on the field. Henry, would you say the same? As far as respect, yeah. You know, we had a great school championship team in 1955. And uh, John Flynn played and, and Pat Noonan played for Gonzaga. And Joe Gibo was all metropolitan for DeMatha. Dave Alexander was a great star at Wilson. So we respected all these guys. And they were our good friends. We hung out on the weekends doing things that we shouldn't have. And then, uh, Did John Flynn go on to play at Oklahoma? Have I got that right? Yeah, he was quite a star at Oklahoma, and I think he was drafted. Yeah. I remember Flynn went on to Oklahoma, and we they wound up coming to visit Maryland when I was there. He ran a little out pad, and I was playing safety, and I came up for the interception and missed it. <laughs> he ran on in for a touchdown. Now that game ends up being a 14-9 to victory for Gonzaga over John Flynn and the rest of the cadets. John did have a touchdown in that game. John Morris, what do you recall about the game itself, being there at Griffith Stadium? They still had the dirt infield. They didn't cover it up with grass. And Frank Dubosky was a defensive tackle for uh, St. John's. And I think his father was a coach there, too. I'm not sure. But anyway, he's playing against me as a center. And he's picking dirt up off the infield and throwing it on the football. And it's driving me crazy, you know? And so <laughs> I, we almost start a fight. And the referee finally comes over. He grabs the bus. He says, you do that one more time and, and you're out of here. So that, that was sort of the end of that one. That's, that's the one thing I remember about that game. He was a first-class jerk, too. Is this the game where Hank Lilly took a safety at the end of the game to uh, – I can't remember now. Yes. Do you remember when Hank did that? But the most important part of that game was Daryl's 87-yard kickoff return to answer St. John's first score. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they were jumping around celebrating, I think. That's That's right. Like like they had the game won. So after that big win over St. John's on Sunday, the Catholic League decided, okay, the way we're going to solve the three-way tie is to play a round-robin tournament on Tuesday, November 24th, again at Griffith Stadium. Each team would play a full game, but with a different opponent each half. Now, in the opening half, St. John's beat Carroll 13-0. In the next half, Gonzaga beat Carroll 7-0. By the way, Carroll assistant coach Moss Collins would become their head coach the next year, and as we well know, in 1991, would join Gonzaga for a combined total of 39 years of Hall of Fame coaching. This set the stage for one more half of football, Gonzaga and St. John's on Tuesday to determine the Catholic League champion and the right to play Eastern for the title on Friday. Now, there was one outcome that the Catholic League planners absolutely did not want to happen, and that's just what did. Zero-zero tie. We stood around Griffith Stadium, St. John's and Gonzaga, waiting to hear how they were going to settle the tie score. They tried to do it based on penetration points, how many times you go past the 30, the 20, the 10-yard line, and that was tied. I can't remember who said it, but there's an old saying, the most entertaining outcome is likely to be the one that happens. (laughs) That's just what the Catholic League got with their tiebreakers. They all ended up in a draw. So they couldn't decide that night. Officials assembled the next day. There were two pieces of paper. One said play, one said not play. And they actually pulled out of a hat. Joe Gallagher, as I understand it, pulled the not play out for St. John's. I have a question. You think Gonzaga being such an academic institution, maybe the slips of paper, both of them said, don't play. And they let Gallagher pick first to be polite. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember what the mechanics were, 
but Father Belwar was our representative. Somebody asked, I understand, Joe Gallagher later, uh, did you ever investigate the other piece of paper in the hat to see yeah. whether it did say play? And he said, no, I don't want to talk about it. That is funny. Brendan, how exactly did word reach the team on I Street about the results of the Catholic League hat draw? Wednesday morning at school, about 11 o'clock in the morning, and I guess Father McHale came into the auditorium and made the announcement. And of course, all hell broke loose at Gonzaga at that point. A lot of our friends from St. John's, they were upset, but we beat them head to head. Friday, November 27, 1959, Gonzaga is about to play for all the marbles against the vaunted Eastern Ramblers. John Morris, you went on to play in the NFL. What do you remember about the atmosphere that night at Griffith Stadium? One memory I have of this game, there are many memories, but first of all, there were some 17,000 people there. Secondly, we used the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, visiting team's locker room. And here I am playing in the same stadium the Washington Redskins are playing in, and I'm sitting in the, in the visiting team's locker room. And it, was a, it was a real thrill just to be able to say you played the same place where the Redskins play. That's how I remember it. And the Eastern Ramblers football team that was waiting for Gonzaga at Griffith Stadium had some pretty strong players on their side. You know, Eastern at the time, I can recall uh, the Washington Post stating that they had – the biggest offensive line in the region, except for the Redskins. I never will forget that, which it would have included <laughs> the local colleges, you know, Maryland and GW and so forth. They were some pretty good-sized guys. They had this big fullback called Big Daddy Frazier. Yeah. He weighed about 230 himself. <laughs> yeah. You remember a guy on that team named Richard Dean? Yeah, I remember Richard Dean. He was a heck of a player. That's the one guy I remember. He was an end. They had a big star. His name was Jimmy Jones. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Went on, I think, to play for the Bears, right? He did. Yep. Yeah, he and Cecil Turner from Spingarn went to play for the Bears. And then Frazier was a fullback. The game was a standoff until midway through the third quarter when Gonzaga's inspirational leader, the late Hank Lilly, quarterback, fired a 26-yard touchdown pass to Brendan O'Neill. There's that great picture, Brendan, of you catching the ball in the yearbook from 1960. How do you remember that play developing? I think it, I was a secondary target. I came out of the backfield and headed to the end zone post pattern, and Hank Dropped it right in my lap. That was right time in the right place. Could I point out that uh, Hank Lilly had all the time in the world to throw that touchdown pass to Brandon? <laughs> <laughs> he did. All credit the offensive line, right, John? I was sort of hinting at that. Yeah, I'm glad you picked up on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then Daryl kicks the uh, extra point. Daryl, I think that ball hit the crossbars, didn't it? It just barely made it. I'll tell you that. Yeah. It squeaked over there. <laughs> and then they came after us, let me tell you. They, uh, I think that was mostly a passing game. They, there were a lot of passes thrown in that game, especially after the uh, in the second half. Jimmy Jones ended up scoring on a 40-yard pass to close the gap to 7-6. And then on a decisive play on the extra point, the play that saved the city title championship for Gonzaga, the late Jay Dugan, six foot four, jumps, leaps, deflects the extra point attempt, and that ends up being the margin of victory. Jay was, he was one of the bigger players on our team. He was, you know, clearly a force on defense. I believe he made all 
met, or if he didn't, he was least all Catholic. He was a terrific player both ways, terrific on defense, a defensive end, and he was a tight end along with Charlie Shields. He was a, an offensive threat as well. He had a pretty good career at Holy Cross too, I believe. Yeah. Now, Jay blocking the extra point was crucial, but you guys still had to play some tough defense at the end of the game because Eastern was threatening. The Ramblers had driven it all the way down to the Eagles' 14-yard line. And there was about 20 seconds, 15 seconds left on the clock. For some reason, they didn't get a playoff. They were, I think, trying to get a play in from the sidelines, and they were yelling for the play to be called, and time ran out. Let me just add, you know, we had good sophomores and juniors on our team, one of whom was uh, Bill Bennett, and we all know who he is. Yep, he's one of our future guests on the Echo Ever Proudly podcast. (laughs) Uh, A lot of them contributed. Daryl, how much did it mean to you to win that game? Because some of the guys you were playing against were guys that you grew up around. I lived out in Northeast D.C., so a lot of the guys who played for Easton kind of lived nearby in the neighborhood and I remember they used to rag at me, and they, Jimmy Jones was good. And so Jimmy was always, you know, we were always pulling at each other, ragging on each other back and forth. And one day, you know, Jimmy said, yeah, you out there, you playing with those white dudes, you know, blah, 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 blah. After the game was over, we were walking off the field, seven or six victories. I said, yeah, remember those that comment you made? I said, and those white dudes can block, too. <laughs> <laughs> And we had a big laugh about that. But it was, I thought the, the game was well played and a friendly rivalry, the city championship game. John Morris, what about you? What are some of your favorite memories after the win? I, I'm looking at this picture of Hank Lilly on the football field after we won the game and, and his mother's giving a great big hug and a kiss and his yeah. father's in the background and everybody's so happy. I, I presume uh, that was the Eastern game. It's a great picture. I don't know if you remember it. One thing you'll notice in the yearbook is that we had four all-met players on our team. Four. Daryl, John, Myron, and Bernie Dempsey. Oh, Bernie, yeah. oh, Bernie Dempsey, yeah. Charlie Shields, how did you feel? I mean, this team's season was on the brink at halftime against Amatha, and now you're city champions. What were you feeling? When we were down 12 nothing against Amatha, and I just had this feeling somehow we'd come back. I felt like we believed in each other. We just kept thinking, we're going to get it done, and and there we were, totally tired, but thrilled that we did indeed pull it off. That's what I remember. What about you, Henry? We were euphoric. The St. John's had won it the previous uh, three years, and we thought we were due. And we just we were delighted after that. Uh, it was a great moment. And we've been able to argue about it with our St. John's friends for the last 50-plus years. <laughs> and that's fun. <laughs> I'm going to show you guys something, right? Okay, so I was just looking at this. I got a picture of my parents after the city championship game. And I just want you to note how people dress to go to football games back there. Mom and Pop all dressed up with leopard coat on and my father with a hat and tie and suit. And And Daryl, you didn't tuck your jersey in. What's up with that? (laughs) Guys, you get back to school on Monday on I Street. The Jesuits, the other students, the teachers. How's everybody feeling? We were on cloud nine there for a minute. You know, I think, as I recall, that was the first championship since I went there. I think in 55, they had a tie. They tied Cardoza uh, for the city championship. But I'm not sure sure we did a lot of classroom work on Monday. I still 
I still got that purple and white jacket with the leather sleeves with the big G on it. And I can remember being proud to wear that home on the bus. I have one of those too. Doesn't fit quite as well, but. (laughs) I can't get my right arm in it. (laughs) (laughs) I gave mine to my grandson. The jackets, the pictures, great memories of an incredible time for you guys at Gonzaga. But I'm also wondering, is there anything that people said that really stuck with you, that maybe carried you through life? Charlie Shields? This stayed with me for 62 years now, but one day in uh, in a group meeting, Pete Lorario was philosophical. He said, you know, as long as you're getting as much out of something in life as you're putting into it, stick with it. But that's a good way to measure the rest of your life. And that has stuck with me. John, what did you take from your time at Gonzaga to, uh, you, you played at Holy Cross, right? Yes, I did. Yes, there's one in particular. It wasn't anything the coaches said. It was uh, it was something that my parents, uh, my father especially said to me. He said, you're going to Gonzaga to get an education and you're going to play football second. That's stayed with me. And that's the same, the same thing was true at Holy Cross. It was, it was studies first and football second. And it paid off in my life because of that. It's I got a wonderful Jesuit education for eight years. Guys, next Wednesday night, it's back, the Gonzaga Smoker. And when I think of the Smoker, I always think about the late Stu Long from the class of 60. You guys went to school with Stu. Give me some Stu stories. Brendan, let's start with you. First of all, I think he had more to do with Gonzaga's expansion and improvement than any other person in the history of Gonzaga. He was the one uh, that had close connections with Mayor Barry and was able to secure what I believe was an urban renewal parcel across the street, and which is now uh, our football field. What about you, John? My memory of Stu Long is every time you mention his name, I smile. He was a wonderful, likable guy to be around. Lots of fun, lots of laughs. And uh, they don't make them like him anymore. Daryl? I can remember going to Congressional with Stu Long and everybody in the club knew him. You know, they, he was holding court, doing his thing. How did, how did Stu Long ever get a membership at Congressional is what I'd like to know. John, he not only got a membership, but <laughs> he, was he was president of the club. Yeah, that's right. I think <laughs> exactly. I've forgotten it. There's hope for all of us. Charlie Shields, you got anything to add? So I got a Brendan and Stu story about 1968 and I got a fire warning light and I had to land at Dobbins Air Force Base and I called up and I said hey I had a fire warning light I called back to the squadron to tell him and another guy had a fire warning light and his wing burned off and he's dead and by the time the story got around Charlie Shields is dead oh yes oh no so now about a year and a half later I'm thinking it's time for a 10th reunion I know who will know what's going on so I'm flying across country up to D.C. and I go to the Hawk and the Dove and you're not going to believe this, but here's Brendan and I think Hank, Lily and Stu planning the 10th reunion. And I see one of them point to me coming through the door and Brendan comes over and says, Charlie, you look really good for a dead man. Yes, right. I remember story. that. I make that up. Yeah. Do you remember that, Brendan? I do. Stu Long almost fainted. The Hawk and the Dove, I'd forgotten about that. What a great place that was, wasn't it? Yeah, Stu Long left his mark all over Washington. We used to have these uh, Friday afternoon gatherings off campus when we were seniors. And we went out to uh, some house out in Prince George's County. And I'm in the living room. Stu Long yells from the kitchen, has anybody ever had crab cakes? And I said, no, no, I haven't. 
He said, well, here's some crab cakes. I just took off the grill and I started to eat the crab cake, took a bite out of it. And I said, Stu, this tastes like cat food. And he said, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Classic. Guys, thanks so much for sharing your memories of Stu. Those who are new to Gonzaga in the last few years who never got the chance to enjoy his company in person need to know all about Stu Long. Definitely one of the heroes of Ice Tree. We don't get to where Gonzaga is as it celebrates its bicentennial without Stu Long from the class of 1960. Thanks again for the stories on the football game, too. Thanks, guys. Thank you. It was fun. Thank you. It was nice uh, getting back to with the some old friends of mine that I haven't talked to in a long time, and I really enjoyed it. Same here. Yeah, me too. Let's do it again. Brennan O'Neill Sr., Daryl Hill, Charlie Shields, Henry Partridge, and John Morris, part of the 1959 City Title Championship team. And this episode on the 1959 football team really doesn't happen without the assistance of Will Morris, John Morris's brother. Will, thank you so much. Will provided me with some key details about those six days to be able to tell this story properly. As we mentioned, the 126th annual Gonzaga Smoker is taking place in person this year. COVID protocols will be in place. You can get all the details about the smoker at the link in the show notes. Looking ahead to episode 12, we're going to talk about another historic win for the Gonzaga football program. One that took place on Friday, November 30th of 1945 at Bird Stadium when Gonzaga beat Father Flanagan's team Boys Town. So make sure if you haven't already that you are following, liking, and subscribing to the Echo Ever Proudly podcast. And I mentioned at the start of the episode, I want to be able to thank you personally for listening. So if you're so inclined, go to the show notes and there's instructions on how you can leave us a holiday greeting. We'll try to include you in our special Christmas week episode of the Echo Ever Proudly podcast where Father Tom Buckley is going to share an incredible Christmas story about the late Father Horace McKenna. Once again, thanks for listening. Be sure to share the Echo Ever Proudly podcast with anyone who you know loves Gonzaga. Until next time, ad maiorium dei gloriam, and hail Gonzaga. Martin.